Welcome again uh, to church this morning from wherever you're at. If you're at home hunkered down or if uh, you know, you've evacuated somewhere, just again want to welcome you guys uh, for joining in online with us this morning. And uh, I have a couple of quick announcements to make. The first one is uh, you have heard it announced uh, the past few weeks, but obviously there will be no small group leaders meeting today. Um, so we're just going to push that one back to, to next week, I believe, if everything is all uh, well and good next Sunday. So there will be no small group leaders meeting today. We are still excited about the small group leader meeting coming up. Uh, the, I mean, the small group semester coming up, but again, obviously we're not going to have that today. Uh, the second thing I wanted to say also was... Uh, just a quick thank you to everybody uh, for praying for me and for my family over uh, this past week and a half of uh, quarantine and, and uh, the COVID mess and everything that we went through. Just uh, all your prayers, everything, bringing meals, all that. It was just, it meant so much to us. And uh, just, again, thank you guys so much. And also thank you for continuing to pray uh, for Pastor Ben. Uh, he wanted to communicate that to all you guys. Just thank you for praying and all that you've done for them as well. And uh, praise the Lord. Feels like they're on the other side of it now. And uh, and also, just want to let all of you know, uh, church family, we are praying for you in the middle of this storm uh, that is coming up. And already, that seems the, the edges of it are getting to us as we speak right now. And uh, what I actually want to talk to you today about in the message has a little bit to do with some of these, uh, these unexpected things that come up in life. And the title of the message today is, When Life Throws You a Curveball, whether that, that curveball is a category for a hurricane in the Gulf or whether that is, uh, you know, a sickness that comes up or just kind of those trials that we face in life, the unexpected things. And I love baseball. It's one of my favorite sports. Uh, and the whole idea of that phrase of when life throws you a curveball or when something throws you a curveball is uh, the vast majority of pitches that a pitcher will throw is a fastball. It's straight. It's a consistent speed. You know what to expect. You know where it's going to go. But when the pitcher throws you a curveball, it has this way of catching the batter off balance. It has a, a they're expecting one thing and then something completely different comes down the pipe and they have, it, it just catches them completely off balance. Like I said, like a, a storm, like some problem in life that you're facing, whether it's some hard moment, whether it's some, uh, something that brings you suffering, whether that's losing a loved one, something that comes up that you're not expecting, that catches you off balance, that catches you off guard, and that is incredibly difficult. And why are we talking about that today? I, I, there's a, I think, again, a lot of us are facing a little bit of, of a curveball right now. But the truth is, is whether or not, you know, we're in the eye of a storm or whether or not, you know, I mean, in the path of a storm or anything like that. The truth is we all face these aspects of a, a curveball of life. We all face hard moments. We all face suffering. We all face trials of life. And the truth is, it's not an easy thing to do. And the truth is, is that it's unavoidable. It's something that is going to happen to every single one of us. It's an undeniable fact of life here on earth that, that we're going to face trouble. Jesus even said as much. He said, he said, in this life, you will have trouble. Not a, you might have trouble. He said, you will have trouble. And so the question that I want us to look at today, the question is, what do we do when we face those moments in life? What do we do when we're expecting one thing, but instead something so much more difficult comes down the line? What do we do when life throws us a moment of suffering, when life throws us one of those hard moments, when life throws us one of those trials. 
Because the truth is, is when those hard times come, when that suffering comes, it, it really true. There's two main ways that we as human beings react to it. And the one, one of the ways that we react to moments of suffering and pain and all that is that people will draw back from God whenever they're facing suffering. They'll draw back from God. They'll draw back from faith. They'll draw back from the church whenever they're, they're faced with these hard moments. And they'll be asking, they'll be questioning, why God? Why did you allow this? In fact, one of the, the most consistent over the past 2,000 years, the most consistent objections that people have to Christianity is the question of how can a good, all-powerful God allow pain and suffering in this life? It's one of the most consistent things. And when they face pain and suffering, they'll draw back from God. They'll allow it to drive a wedge between them and God. But the truth is, on the other side of the coin, the other way that people react to pain and suffering, and what the Bible says is that those very things that so naturally want to drive a wedge between us and God, those moments of pain and suffering, the curveballs that life throws at us, those very things can in fact drive us deeper into our relationship with God. They can bring good things out of our life. And what I want us to look at today is how. How is that even possible? What, what does the Bible tell us to do about that? I want to look at uh, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Now in this, James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. If you're at home with somebody, turn to them and say, Pure joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, whenever you face curveballs of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, that the trials he's talking about produce perseverance, the curveball of life, those moments of suffering, the moments of hardship, they produce perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. All throughout the book of James, but especially, I believe, in chapter 1, these verses that we're reading, James just over and over and over again says things that just have to come from the mouth of God. They cannot come from human wisdom because they make absolutely no sense to us as human beings. And this is one of those statements. If, you're, if you were reading that and you said those words that I, we focused in on, when you're reading this and maybe you're thinking of one specific trial that you've gone through, maybe it's recently or maybe something that you, you've gone through decades ago and it's still haunting you, you look at that and it says, consider it pure joy? Pure joy? When, pure joy when I lose a loved one, when I lose... A parent or a son or a daughter, you're, you're telling me to consider it pure joy whenever I'm facing a Category 4 hurricane? You're, you're telling me to consider it pure joy in 2016 when my house flooded? You're telling me to consider it pure joy? That doesn't make sense to me. I don't know about you, but that doesn't make sense to my human brain. Consider it pure joy? What? Another translation doesn't say consider. I love the word that it uses. It says count it pure joy. Count it pure joy. And that Greek word where it says count it was actually a Greek accounting term. I'm not the best at math or accounting and everything, but it's a very 
straightforward idea. If you ever, you've ever done accounting or anything like that, you've got two sides of the ledger. You've got the negative account side, and then you've got the positive account side. And what James is saying is these big trials, these big curveballs, these big moments of suffering and pain, you've been putting it on the negative side of the ledger. But what I want to tell you is that you need to put it on the positive side of the ledger. You need to not count it as a liability, but you need to count it as an asset. These things that you're afraid of, if we're honest this morning, the reason that we're afraid of trials, the reason that we're scared when a Category 4 hurricane is in the Gulf, when we're scared about losing a loved one, when we're scared about all these things, it is a natural thing because in our minds we're thinking trials take something from us. Trials take, they take, they take, whether that's they take your peace, whether that's they take time and effort to rebuild your house, whether it's they they literally take a loved one from you or they take your health or whatever it is, trials take something from us. You look at them and you say, this needs to go on this side of the ledger because it's going to be a negative to me. It's going to be a negative to my account. But what the Bible is saying, what James is saying here, what God is saying through James is he's saying, you're thinking these trials take something from you, but I'm going to tell you something. They're actually going to give you something even greater. If you look at James chapter one again, it says, look, consider it pure joy. Why? Because when you face the trials of many kind, you know that that trial is going to produce perseverance. Go to that next verse where the trial is going to produce. You think it's going to take something, but in reality, it's going to be giving and making something inside of you. The trial that you think is going to take, it's going to make something inside of you. And if you go to the last verse, what does it say? It says it's going to produce something in you so great that it says that perseverance is going to finish its work. Keep going so that you would be mature. And I love this word complete, not lacking anything in case you were a little bit doubtful about what the word complete means. It says you think it's going to take something from you, but it's going to produce something in you so great that you're going to be not, you're going to be lacking nothing. You're going to be lacking nothing. And one of my favorite illustrations to have to do about this, you may have heard me use it at a prayer night. I've spoken at prayer nights before at youth. Uh, It actually comes from, again, the world of baseball. We're talking about curveballs today. Uh, But one of my favorite illustrations of this fact and of this biblical truth is the story of this baseball player. And his name was Mordecai Three Finger Brown. And that's I just I love baseball because of the nicknames. It's one of my absolute favorite parts about baseball. Babe Ruth alone had like 20 nicknames, the Sultan of Swat, the Colossus of Clout, all that. Mordecai Brown's nickname was Three Finger and it was a much less creative nickname because the reason Mordecai Third Finger Brown had that nickname was because when he was a kid, he had a farming accident. Again, you know this was long way back in the day with the black and white picture and the seven-year-old was working the farm equipment. But anyways, so as he was working the farm equipment as a seven-year-old, he got into an accident with the big heavy machinery and everything. And his throwing hand, the hand he threw the baseball with, actually... The index finger of his hand completely got ripped off. And then all the rest of the fingers on his hand were completely broken. One of them was even paralyzed. Well, I have the picture. If you're squeamish, you might want to look away. But that's what his hand actually looked like. And if 
If you're thinking anything like me, you look at somebody who loses a finger on their throwing hand, has all the other fingers broken and they don't grow back correctly, and even one of the fingers on his throwing hand was paralyzed, you would think that that disqualifies him from playing baseball. You would think that it disqualifies him from like playing pickup in the neighborhood. But in reality, what happened with Mordecai Brown was it didn't disqualify him. What ended up happening because of his accident was he grew into, his hand grew into a curveball machine. His hand, the deformity that came from the accident, actually served to make his hand into literally the perfect curveball machine. I remember when I was 12 years old, And my dad was teaching me how to throw a curveball, and he was showing me the grip, and he was doing all that stuff. And I remember my dad teaching me and telling me, he said, you need to be careful about your index finger when you throw the curveball, because your index finger can get in the way. How many all know that Mordecai Brown didn't have that problem? The greatest greatest, uh, baseball player of all time it was named Ty Cobb, and he said the hardest, most difficult pitcher that he ever faced was Mordecai Brown, and the hardest pitch he ever faced was Mordecai Brown's curveball. And the curveball of life that took his finger, that was undeniably a trial, that took something from him, took something physical from him, in turn produced something in him so great that he never could have had unless he had gone through the trial. And I know some of you guys maybe are, are looking at this and saying, okay, that's, that's something, sm- you know, I know that that's, a, that's an actual trial. I know that it probably hurt him and everything, but I would give all of my fingers if I could have my loved one back. Or I would give all of my fingers if I didn't have to go through the flood of 26. I don't know, maybe some of you are like, I'll keep my fingers and I'll get the new renovated house, you know, whatever. But some of you guys are looking and say, but my trial so much bigger than that. My trial is so much bigger than that. How can you say that the subtraction of this or that is actually going to turn into an addition? I, I, the last thing that I want to do today is minimize the trial that you're facing or the trial that you've gone through. Because the truth of the matter is that the trials are real. The trials are hard. The trials hurt. And I know that. I've been through my fair share as well. The truth of the matter is, is, you know, we're at the end of 21 days of prayer. We just finished up a couple of weeks ago. You know, we've heard testimonies of God answering prayer. We've heard testimonies of all the great things that God's done in people's lives and the, the, the healing and all these things that God has done. But the truth of the matter is there's still some cards that you filled out that you're still waiting on the answer to. There's some of you guys who maybe have been filling out those prayer cards since we started 21 Days of Prayer years and years ago, and you're still waiting on that answer to prayer. We're still waiting on that answer of prayer. We're still waiting on that answer of prayer. You're still wondering why, God. You're still wondering, what am I supposed to do with this curveball that life has thrown me that I feel like God has thrown at me? What do I do? The truth, I, w- I want to look to the example of Joseph in the Old Testament. When Joseph... Joseph was one of the most influential leaders in the entire world at the time. But if you had looked at Joseph's life before he had all the influence, you would be wondering, why, God, why? And I'm sure Joseph must have been doing the same thing because Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. 
Joseph was a slave for however many years. Joseph, not only that, from his slave master threw him into prison. And Joseph was sitting in prison and he was probably wondering, why God? Why are you doing this? For years and years from slavery to the prison. But eventually God brought him into the palace. And he brought him into the palace for a purpose. And it was so that, so that he could save so many lives when a great famine came through the world. And the truth is, is when his brothers came back to him, the same brothers who had sold him into slavery, that had had put him into the greatest trial and the greatest suffering of his life, when they came before him, Joseph had the perspective that James was showing us. In Genesis 50, 20, he says this, Brothers, look, you meant evil against me. You meant to throw me the greatest curveball. You meant to give me this great suffering. You meant to serve me all this pain. But God meant it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive or saved, as another translation says, as they are today. When we look at the example of Joseph, when we look at what James says, I believe that God is wanting us to just, with a subtle shift, shift our perspective from fear to faith. From asking the question of just devastation of how in the world, God, are you going to fix this? How in the world is God going to fix this? To an expectant, faith-filled, God, how are you going to fix this? God, I know you will. It's what you do. I know that you're going to produce something in it. How are you going to do it? I can't wait to see what you're going to do through it. Again, we're not minimizing the trials. They're real. They're big. But today is not about minimizing the trials, but it's about magnifying the goodness of God. It's not about the trials saying they're not real. It's not about saying the trials mean nothing. It's not about saying that it's insignificant. It's about magnifying the goodness of God. And the truth is this. We all, maybe, we all see the problem, whether it's the hurricane, whether it's the loss of a loved one. We all see what the curveball is. We all see what the problem, we all see what the trial is. And James and Joseph, they kind of point us and give us the roadmap to go from fear to faith. They go from, the, they give us the roadmap of, hey, you're supposed to take the trial from the, the negative ledger and you're supposed to put it in the positive. So we have the problem, we have the roadmap, but if we're honest this morning, what we've got to admit is that the truth remains that this roadmap that they give us is impossible to do on our own. It's impossible to do on our own. On our own power, we can't take the negative and say, I I believe it's going to turn into a positive. I just, I I believe it's going to happen. On our own, we can't do it. We don't have that perspective. We don't have that mind on our own. But the truth is we need the supernatural power of God to do what James and Joseph are pointing us to. We need the supernatural power of God in our hearts and in our minds to to look at the trials, to look at the losses and say, God, to go from God, how are you going to do this? To how God, how are you going to do this? To go from that perspective of fear to faith, we need the supernatural power of God. And how do we do that? We look to the cross. What does the Apostle Paul say? about the cross in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. When we're going through suffering, 
How does the cross give us power to get through suffering? How does the cross give us the power to have that idea of counting our trials as pure joy? To counting the worst, darkest moment of your life, to count it as pure joy. How in the world does the cross give us the power to do it? Because the truth of the matter is, if we go back to the beginning with the two approaches that people take to to trials and sufferings of letting that trial either drive a wedge between us and God or that trial bringing us closer to God. The truth is when we look at the cross, when we look at Jesus Christ on the cross suffering for you and for me, taking the nails that you and I deserve, taking the punishment on him that you and I deserve, not just of the cross and not just of the, the pain and the suffering, but the supernatural separation between him and God that you and I deserve because of our sin. When we look at the suffering that Jesus Christ went through, we don't see a God who could care less about the trial that you're going through. We don't see a God who could care less about your suffering. We don't see a God who's ambivalent or indifferent to your suffering. We see a God who willingly stepped down into our pain and suffering. We see a God who not just stepped down, but plunged headlong into your pain and suffering. Into the suffering of all humanity. Into suffering worse than anything you and I could ever imagine. If you've ever cried out, why God? Why God? Look to the words of Jesus on the cross where he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you've ever lost a a son or a daughter, you can look to the heart of God the Father looking down on the cross, losing his one and only son. If you look to the cross, you see not only the death and the suffering that Jesus went through, but the betrayal of his friends. You see the separation between him and God that that all of us deserve, but only he could, that he could shoulder. And we look to Jesus on the cross and we truly see the worst trial that anyone on the face of the earth could ever go through. And what we see is even the worst trial that took everything, even the worst trial that took everything gave life to the whole world. The trial that took literally the Son of God off the face of the earth, that took so much, gave salvation, gave new life, gave forgiveness, gave redemption to the entire world. I love what 1 Corinthians Paul says in chapter 15. He says, death is swallowed up in victory. Because of the cross, because of the new life, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us the victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I love that idea of death being swallowed up in victory. Like what happens when you and I swallow something up? It gives us energy, it makes us stronger, and if we eat enough of it or something big enough, it makes us bigger, right? Look at what it says. The victory of Jesus Christ swallows up death. The biggest trial. By swallowing up death, 
the victory that we'll experience is even greater than anything we could imagine before. Because it swallowed up death, it's even greater, it's even bigger, it's even more powerful because victory has swallowed up death. Death is swallowed up in victory and it's all through Jesus Christ our Lord. When life throws us a curveball, no matter what it is, don't minimize the trial. Don't be like you know, the, the stoic philosophers of the thousands of years ago that say that the trial means nothing. You know, if you're upset about losing a loved one, it's, it's, it shouldn't make you upset. It's just your own emotions you need to get in control of. That's not what we're saying today. We're not saying minimize the trial. We're not saying that it didn't take something. We're not saying that it's, it's not hard. We're not saying that it's not, it's not a huge thing. But what we're saying is that the victory and the goodness of God is so big, it swallows up whatever it is you're going through. The goodness of God is so big that it can swallow up whatever happens from a Category 4 hurricane. The goodness of God is so big that it can swallow up the death of a loved one. The goodness of God is so big it can swallow up whatever it is that you've gone through. And even if it was huge on the negative ledger, the victory swallows it up so great and it makes the victory on the positive side even greater than it was before. So don't minimize the trial. Let it drive you to the cross which is the power of God where we see God not minimizing our suffering but stepping down into it and suffering right alongside with us then we can say by faith I count it pure joy I may not feel joy right now, but I can put it on the joy side of the ledger. I may not feel happy right now, but God, I'm going to put it on the joy side of the ledger because of your goodness. Because I look and see the amount that you would go to to show us how much you detest suffering. How much that, God, you love us and you care about us. I look at your goodness and I'm just, I'm going to, I don't feel joy, but I'm going to count it as pure joy because of who you are. See, when we look at Jesus on the cross, we don't know the answer of why he's allowing you to go through the suffering. Mordecai Brown, later he could look at it and say, that's exactly why I lost my finger, so I could become the greatest curveball thrower ever. Joseph could look in the palace and look back and say, that's exactly why I went through the prison. That's exactly why I went through everything I went through, so that God could use me in this great thing. The truth is, some of you may still be in the prison. Some of you may be in the hospital with your finger off and you, you don't even know how to throw a curveball. You may be on this side of the trial and you have no idea why. And the truth is, some of us still may be wondering, why God? But when we look at the cross of Jesus, I, I may not be able to answer to you exactly why you're going through it, but I know what the answer cannot be. It cannot be that you're going through the suffering and the pain because God doesn't love you. You're not going through the pain and the suffering because God has abandoned you. When we look at the cross, we see that God saw our suffering. He saw our pain. He saw our separation from God. And he stepped down into it so that no matter what we go through, the worst pain, the worst trial, the worst suffering, we can look to the cross that is the power of God and we can see and have that power come to us and see that no matter what I'm going through, I know God is right by my side. I know that God is with me through this. 
Isaiah 43 says, when you walk through the waters, I will be with you. When you go through the fires, you will not be burned. And when those three Israelites were thrown into the fiery furnace, they had that promise, I'm sure. When we're thrown into the fire, God is not going to let us be burned. When we walk through the waters, he will be with us. And there he was in the fire right alongside him. And I'm going to tell you something. They had to do it totally by blind faith. But we can look to the cross and we can know with assurance that God is with us in our suffering. Wherever you're at this morning, you're at home you're evacuated. I just want you to bow your heads, close your eyes and pray with me this morning. We're going to pray for, for protection throughout this storm. We're going to pray through uh, that God, you know, just thanking him, knowing he'll be with us. But first, I want to take a moment to, to pray with everybody. If you're, maybe you're joining in online with us, you, you saw somebody share the, the link and you're new to this whole church thing or you've abandoned church. Maybe you've gone through suffering. And you, you let it, you know, it's natural. There's no judgment, but you allowed it to just draw a wedge between you and God because you couldn't see his goodness in it. And this morning, you, maybe you heard and you saw the goodness of God fresh and new this morning. Maybe you heard him calling to you and you want to give your life back to him this morning. That's the first thing we want to do this morning is we as a church, we want to pray with you this morning. The truth is when Jesus died on the cross, it was to forgive our sins. It was to give us, to give you and me new life. That we could be forgiven. That we could experience the power of God in our lives. And the way we do that is by kneeling at the cross and saying, thank you, Jesus. You gave your life for me. I want to give my life to you. So wherever you're at this morning, if you want to pray that prayer and recommit your life to Jesus or commit for the first time, I ask that you would just repeat these words after me and they're not magic. There's, it's, it's just between you and God. It's the faith in your heart. So repeat these words after me. Say, dear Jesus, I thank you for saving me. I thank you for dying on the cross in my place so that I can know no matter what I go through, you're with me so that I could know no matter what I go through, you love me. So that I could know no matter what I've done, you forgive me. God, you want me to have new life. So since you gave your life for me, God, I wanna give my life to you. I admit I'm a sinner, I admit I've made mistakes, but I commit my life to you, fresh in you. If you said that this morning, say in Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, we're so proud of you. And we want to we guide you on your next steps after you've given your life to Jesus. Wherever you're at, if you just take two seconds this morning, and we, just, we have a, a couple of next steps for you. We don't want to bother you or, or come knocking down your door or anything like that. But we want to guide you in your next steps of what God has for you in your life. And so we just ask that you would text the word SAVED to this number, 66599. We'll just send you a quick link on our website where you can watch a video that shows you just the next steps of what do you do now that you've given your life to Jesus. Again, we're so proud of you. We'd love to talk with you maybe after all this hurricane stuff has blown over. And we'd love to see you in church next Sunday and just, again, guide you in your next steps. We're so proud of you. But before we close out this morning, I want to take a quick moment and just pray for everybody who uh, protection over this storm, everything that everyone's going through. So let's pray this morning. Jesus, we just thank you, God, that we know that when we're in the middle of the storm, you're right there with us. 
We know no matter what the storm takes from us, God, your victory is going to swallow it up and it's going to be even greater no matter what we lose. God, we thank you when we look to the cross, we can experience your power. We can experience your love fresh and new every day when we look to you. We look to your love. We look to what you've done for us and we see that you've already won the victory over whatever we face in life. So God, we thank you fresh and new. We commit our lives fresh and new to you today. We say again, no matter what happens, we love you, Lord. And we thank you, God, for being with us no matter what. We love you. We just pray protection over everyone who's in the middle of the storm, who's about to experience it. And God, we thank you for all you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say a good amen this morning. Amen. Wherever you're at, you can put your hands together for Jesus this morning.